I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. When you select PPE in your practice or organization, how do you usually make those selections? Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. This is Linda Harvey, and I will be your moderator today. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating the regulatory world to keep you on course. We invite you to subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. And any resources we mentioned during this podcast can be found on our website. And we also invite you to submit questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. When we think about personal protective equipment, or PPE, the bloodborne pathogen standard has a very specific definition of what that encompasses. So I'd like to share with our listeners three quick points about that, and then we'll launch into looking at each different area of PPE and talk about some little known facts and tips to help you select your PPE. The bloodborne pathogen standard defines personal protective equipment as specialized clothing or equipment worn by an employee for protection against a hazard. And in the case of the bloodborne pathogen standard, these are bloodborne pathogen hazards. Now, the standard goes on to say that PPE will only be considered appropriate if it does not permit blood or other potentially infectious materials, which in the case of a dental practice, that would be saliva, to pass through or reach your work clothes, street clothes, undergarments, skin, eyes, mouth, and mucous membranes, and that the PPE has to last under the normal conditions of time that we need it to last. So third, in general, our work clothes, such as our uniforms, are not intended to function as protection against the hazard and are not considered to be personal protective equipment. So Mary, let's start with mask, if you don't mind, and let's talk about with our listeners, share some information about the N95 respirators that we've seen so many on the market. What's the difference in those and how should they go about making the best selection? Thanks, Linda. The Food and Drug Administration and the CDC's NIOSH, National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, are the two organizations that regulate, if you will, um, N95 respirators, particularly in um, the area of healthcare. So according to the FDA, an N95 respirator is a respiratory protective device designed to achieve a very close facial fit and very efficient filtration of airborne particles. And I always tell people that the the real key here, the difference between the protection you get from an N95 respirator versus a mask or a surgical mask is the fit and the seal because you don't have the gaps on the sides that you do with a, um, with a mask. The edges of the respirator are designed to form a seal around the nose and mouth and the type of respirator that's used in healthcare that is prescribed for use in healthcare by NIOSH and by the Food and Drug Administration is a surgical N95. Now, the key difference in between an N95 and a surgical N95, well, two key differences. One is an N95 respirator, whether you bought it from 
uh, medical supply company or you bought it at Home Depot is that it's really designed for use in industry more so than healthcare. But if you buy one that is a surgical N95, then it has been approved by NIOSH for use in healthcare. It is actually cleared through the FDA as a class two medical device. And the key difference there is fluid shield or fluid resistance. If I buy, uh, and, and we were allowed to do that in the early days of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, when we were told we should be using N95 respirators, if the only place you could find it is at the hardware store and it wasn't a fluid resistant one, it was allowed by the FDA through emergency use authorization. That was the any port in a storm days, but that has passed and we have good supplies of these respirators. So think about this, the, the filtration of an N95 or a surgical N95 in terms of particles is essentially the same. They're held to the same standard. However, the fluid resistance gives you that extra layer of protection because if fluid is allowed to get through that N95 respirator, then that fluid, whether it's blood or saliva, will most likely have some viral or bacterial particles attached to it, which then poses a potential risk to the user. So we always need to make sure that what we use for our patient care is an N95 that has been cleared by the FDA, that has been certified by NIOSH for use in healthcare. Perfect, Mary. That is such important information. I want to echo to our listeners that this is information that we didn't know prior to the pandemic. We were tuned in to the fact that we knew we had different levels of surgical masks, level one, two, and three, which one of those masks we wore when, and that was those masks were rated by ASTM. And now we're learning about NIOSH and how they play into those N95 respirator masks and why a surgical N95 respirator mask is the best to use with aerosol generating procedures. So thank you very much, Mary. Olivia, let's talk about eyewear. I, I understand that some of the eyewear requirements were updated last year. What can we share with our listeners when they're making decisions about how to protect their eyes? Sure, Linda, thank you. It's important to stay up to date because we have had some changes. For one, CDC throughout the pandemic has advocated the use of proper eye protection and that being goggles or a face shield that covers the front and sides of the face and it should be worn during all patient care encounters. And of course, we also look to OSHA's regulatory information and they would base the standard on what the American National Standards Institute has published, and which is known as ANSI. And that organization creates a base point from which to qualify our protective eyewear. So what I'm getting at, Linda, let's talk about what is not appropriate. We can no longer wear glasses with side shields. So I often see in dental practices where they're wearing cute little prescription glasses or cute colorful readers with either no side shields or side shields added on. And what we've learned is this is simply 
inadequate protection. So we want to be sure we're current with the latest standard. And the ANSI standards, unfortunately, are not free, so they would be purchased as a download. But there's lots of resources, Linda, online that make references to the current ANSI standards so that our listeners can be sure that they're up to date with that. And I also want to mention, Linda, about the face shields. To select the face shields properly, that the face shield needs to cover the front and the sides of the face, leaving no areas uncovered. So that means that the forehead band should sit just above the eyebrows and then the shield, the bottom of the shield should be below the chin level. So we wanna make sure we've got that adequate coverage. And if the visor does not stay in position, it should be adjustable that it could be tightened. And each shield is, a little bit different. So when you're looking at making a purchase, first, I want to be sure you're noting that, is it disposable? Because if the shield is disposable, then that means it was not intended for reuse. We would dispose of the shield and replace it between patients. If it's not disposable, we want to consult the instructions for use on how to properly decontaminate the shield between uses so that we don't destroy it before its lifetime. Also, we want to be sure that the shields are properly stored uh, to avoid cross-contamination. We also want to evaluate the shield to make sure it is not degraded in any way and if it requires replacement. Now, we do get lots of questions on the different types and styles of shields that are available. And there's a lot more choices now than there was during the pandemic. So we want to make sure that we're not making our own shields any longer because there are adequate supplies to be purchased that are made for that purpose. Thank you, Olivia. You've said some important tips that I just want to go back and revisit. And that's the fact that it has to be appropriate and we can no longer make our own face shields, for example, and we have to be sure that the eyewear that we're choosing is appropriate under the bloodborne pathogens definition. And I know that oftentimes we create workarounds, whether it was the workarounds with the mask, wearing KN95s during that emergency use authorization, or making your own face shields, now's the time, and we've sort of passed that time, if you will, to circle back around and make sure we're using appropriate PPE that is either FDA cleared, NIOSH certified, or you know EPA approved, whatever the category is that we're working in, it needs to be approved. Leslie, let's, let's bring this conversation home with our gowns. What can we talk about and share with our listeners about gowns and fluid resistance and scrub jackets and where should be where should we be with those gowns now? Well, Linda, I think it really depends on what the tasks are that you're going to be doing and, and how much exposure you're going to have to fluid or, or uh, moisture or aerosols. So many people love the variety of clinical jackets that they find it just everywhere. And I want people to keep in mind that in dentistry, we have a little bit different circumstance with regards to aerosols and 
uh, spatter, things that we're exposed to during the day versus what you might find in a medical office setting where the scrub jacket is really personal protective equipment and looks professional, but, but it's not necessarily moisture or fluid resistant in those circumstances. So choosing a fluid resistant gown, if you're using ultrasonic scalers or you're uh, in, involved in restorative procedures on an ongoing basis would be a better choice than something that's designed just to cover your general work clothing. And over the pandemic, I think I saw a lot more of the full length or full uh, below the knees type of PPE, whether it was a um, isolation gown or whether it was disposable. And I think uh, we have to consider what areas of our body are being exposed to these splashes and spatters and aerosols during our treatment day. I also sometimes see that uh, maybe dental assistants or hygienists prefer to wear long t-shirt sleeves and with a short clinical jacket or scrub top. And that's not really considered by OSHA to be personal protective equipment. It's the outer garment that OSHA looks at uh, to protect the general work clothing underneath. And then also keep in mind that uh, there's various different styles of uh, lab coats or jackets. And when I say lab coat, typically they don't have a cuff on the sleeve. And I have seen numerous times where dental professionals look just lovely and so smart in a lab coat. But then I see that their wrists are exposed, their skin is exposed. And I know that OSHA is concerned about any areas of the arms that would be exposed during patient care where we might have uh, fluids, body fluids or aerosols or any kind of contaminants land on us. The other thing I worry about when it comes to uh, not having cuffs is I've seen a number of times where a lab coat sleeve tends to pick up a handpiece as you're reaching across or an ultrasonic scaler or an air and water syringe. And just imagine for a moment that uh, you get hung up with uh, one of your dental devices and it falls off of your clinical jacket sleeve and you know injures your patient. So for our own protection and for our patient's protection, we should always have a cuff on our jacket, whatever kind that we choose. Another option for clinical attire would be to consider whether to wear a clinical jacket that uh, comes up high on your neck, like a mandarin collar, or whether it is uh, like a scoop neck. And I just love the example that, uh, that Olivia gave of the face shield and how that is to cover your skin. And we have to consider what's on our neck and, and just below our neck. So, you know, we think about our neck, our chin down, and then you think about a little bit further what shows. Uh, one thing that we used to do for fun when, when I worked in a dental practice, uh, we would take a little two by two with alcohol and we would uh, wipe our chin and our neck with it in the morning and get it all nice and clean. And then at the end of the day, we would take a two by two with alcohol and go over that same area and then look at the two by two and you could see what we were pummeled with throughout the day. So PPE, again, is to protect us. Also consider the way it can uh, possibly harm your patient, like with the cuffs and not having cuffs on the clinical jackets. And then consider one other thing is that the, the I think when I see someone in a clean clinical jacket, I think that's professional. So our appearance really carries a lot of weight beyond what we look beyond what we what we're doing to protect ourselves is how how we look as dental professionals.
Thank you, Leslie. Those are some outstanding points when it comes to the type of protection we should be wearing, a gown and scrub jackets, and some tips to remember about the whole fluid-resistant capability. I think now with the, the COVID crisis, everyone is more in tune to the aerosols. They're not new in dentistry. We're just giving them renewed emphasis and special attention to protect ourselves even more. So now I'd like to invite our divas now to share any uh, PPE mishaps or no-nos that you've seen over the years. Mary? One of the challenges that I see all the time are ads for products in our professional journals. And we see the team members performing simulated procedures and they have short sleeve scrubs on. Um, a lot of times they have a mask that's underneath their chin. And so many people see that and assume that it's okay if it's shown in these national publications. And so this is a shout out to all of our manufacturing partners to be a little more cognizant of showing the appropriate PPE and for the team members who are listening to know that that may not be the most correct portrayal that you see in an ad. Mary, I can totally echo that. And I will take it a step further to say that, look at your websites. Look at your own website for those of our listeners today that are tuning in. Take a look at your website at the video and pictures that you have. Usually they're simulated, as Mary said, even if it's a team member who's, served, who's sitting in the role as a patient, it doesn't matter um, if it's real patient care or not. If you're simulating it, it should look real. Leslie, you have. One of the mistakes that I see frequently made is with the clinical jacket sleeve being pushed up to the elbows. I know I'm guilty of that myself when I'm wearing a sweater. If I get a little warm, I push up my sleeves a little bit. But again, uh, that does expose you to uh, aerosols and spatters that the clinical jacket is supposed to protect you from. Another thing that I see frequently, uh, we still see prescription glasses being worn instead of protective eyewear. But when I do see protective eyewear, sometimes I'll see it scooted down on the end of the nose. And that doesn't protect the eyes. It really needs to be up flush at the bridge of the nose instead of all the way down toward near the nostrils. Thank you, Leslie. Olivia, what would you contribute? I just wanted to mention that not only are we selecting the appropriate PPE, but it also needs to be in the appropriate sizes. So I worked with a pregnant dental assistant and I noticed that her jacket did not close. It was way too small during her pregnancy. So we need to make sure we're accommodating different sizes. And also the nose should be covered, should not be outside of the mask. See that quite commonly. Or the safety goggles, they just are too big. And as Leslie mentioned, they may be sliding down the nose or it's just too large for the size face of the individual that's wearing them. So just as a little side tip, Linda, to make sure that the employer is providing PPE in the appropriate sizes, because it's definitely not a one size fits all world. So true, Olivia. So when we think about our clinical attire, in our dental settings, it is not a one size fits all because not all PPE is created equal in size and function and so forth. So when I, we would encourage our listeners to key in on what's considered appropriate, 
are you protecting yourself with the proper coverage of your work clothes, which is your uniforms, your skin, your eyes, mouth, mucous membranes? Are you fully covered? And I know that sometimes it gets challenging because maybe we get hot, but we can look for other options that will suit with that to be sure that we are staying safe in today's environment. And the one thing we didn't talk about today, Divas, was gloves. So I would like to refer our listeners to episode number 38, but we do talk about gloves and get some updates from that. So thank you for joining today's podcast. The Compliance Divas bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating the regulatory world to keep you on course. Any references that we mentioned here today, especially regarding the bloodborne pathogen standard, we will have links for that on our website. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. And please feel free to submit questions to support at The Compliance Divas. And we'll see you next time.